Hey everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of October 29th, 2021. We're running a special single issue podcast this week. We are only going to be talking about the thing that seems like the only thing anybody is talking about, and for good reason, the tragic shooting death of a crew member, Helena Hutchins, on the set of the New Mexico-based film shoot Rust last week. I'm Charles Hain, I'm here with George Edelman and Todd Blankenship. So to to give a summary for those of you who are not addicted to Twitter and the LA Times, last week on a film shoot, an actor, Alec Baldwin, fired a gun. I'm not going to use the term prop gun because people in the film industry, we all know what prop gun means. Outside of the film industry, it's been very confusing for a lot of people. So we're just going to say gun for now and keep it simple. Fired a gun that they had been informed was a cold gun, which means no, no live ammunition was in it but it was in fact a hot gun. There was a live round in it. And cinematographer Helena Hutchins was killed. And there's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot of repercussions for the film industry we want to talk about here. The first thing I want to say before we say anything else is that obviously not all facts are known right now. So I'm personally going to try and base this conversation on like the known public facts. There are a lot of other things going out where like a single crew member will make a statement or whatever. We don't have enough information to know which crew members knew what, when. We do know that the union camera crew had walked off five hours earlier and been replaced with a non-union camera crew, but we don't know yet if the armorer walked off. We know the armorer was relatively new. It was only their second picture, but they were from a family of armorers. Their father was an armorer and, and a very experienced armorer, so we we just don't know. We do know that the shooting happened right after returning from lunch, so we don't know what happened to the weapons during lunch. There's There's too much information we don't know. The two big conversations that have been sort of spiked by this that I think are really worth having, I mean, in my opinion, are, one, we should have banned guns on film sets in 1984 when John Eric Hexum shot himself in the head with a blank and died. We should have banned them again in 93 when Brendan Lee died. And this is another opportunity where we should just ban guns from film sets. And then a lot of people have been pivoting to a bigger conversation. Guys, this is more than just guns. This is also unsafe working conditions in general. This crew was a crew that had been worked too hard over too many long hours without satisfactory rest. That's when accidents happen. The gun was part of that, but it's also working conditions in general. And, you know, my response is very much, why not both? Like, can we immediately just ban guts from film sets? Even if we can't pass a law to do it, can SAG say, our actors will no longer work with live guns with firing pins. You have to use non-guns that make a loud noise and, and have a flash. And I say this as a person who's been a gun owner and I don't want to ban guns universally. Like, I think guns have a purpose. I've owned a gun. I'll probably own guns in the future. I'm not a, we melt them all down person. I, I, I regularly go to the gun range. But a film sets a workplace, and other than armed security personnel who are trained to use guns, having it on their hip, I can think of no reason to have a real gun on a film set. Like, we work in fantasy here, guys. In 2021, we really can't make realistic non-guns that could never, ever injure someone for actors to use. That's insanity. And then the other thing is like, I would like that. And I would also like this to lead to a bigger conversation about the overall working conditions that lead to any kind of accident happening, gun related or not. I guess I'm nervous. You know, the conversation keeps saying, well, it's not just a gun problem. It's a safety problem. And it's the same thing with like all gun control being like, well, it's not a gun problem. It's a mental health problem. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's also a gun. Like other accidents. I've been on many accidents on set where like a light got knocked over and people didn't die. Like, 
the gun is also part of it. Guns shouldn't be on film sets and actors' hands with firing pins. And we need simultaneously to address like the horrible workplace safety situation. Right now, the LA Times is really following the story best. So the place I could recommend most, they're doing the most thorough job of pursuing every angle in in terms of following up with information in the story. And yeah, and we know that there's a police investigation ongoing and the production is on pause. I bet the production is on pause forever, personally. I doubt they're coming back. I think you summarized this event really well and all the different things contributing to it. I'm struck by a message I received not long after. A couple things, people randomly, you know, texting, communicating about this. One person I know who just has no, you know, older, not connected to the industry at all, intelligent person who just watches movies as a fan and was like, how on earth does something like this happen on a movie set? And it occurred to me that to people, that it's, it's, it's just insane given how much happens in a movie or a television show that is absolutely fabricated. I mean, this last weekend, Dune came out. There are realistic, massive spice worms on screens. Uh, there's so much you can do to create something that looks real that is not. The idea that there is the necessity for an actual firearm that fires <laughs> to be on a set and I laugh because it's absurd. It's just crazy. Like from from a, it's just a crazy, unnecessary thing. So I I think your point, and you made it very quickly, Charles. And when you put up a post on No Film School last week, right afterwards was like, we need to ban these guns on set. It just makes sense. Like it, I think that's a no brainer. I think that it's absolutely time. It makes no sense. There's all, all these other issues wrapped up into this. You know, the working conditions. And what I actually said to the individual who asked me was, I said, well. One of the major things that may have led to this, as it turns out, is that a lot of union folks walked off the set because of working conditions. There was a lot of concern over safety in general. And then something like this happened. So I don't, I'm not doing the math because I don't know all the specifics, but I know that was all started, that all started to be speculated about. There were some stories and rumors coming out. Then it started to be confirmed by legit news sources that were reporting that it was in fact true, that there had been a walkout of some members of the crew because of safety concerns. So you look at it and you think, well, maybe that is the culprit ultimately. Although I would still agree having live ammunition on set is crazy. And then, so there's another thing that came up for me, which is a friend of mine who I worked with for years, you know, sent a message. It's like, I can't, you know, in hindsight, we used so many fake we did so many projects with fake guns. We did so many little shoots, video, all kinds of stuff, film, like constantly. And we were always insanely careful. And a few times we had to pay, you know, supervisors and people. And these weren't real weapons, you know, prop, like not, not ones that could hurt anybody. But there was always somebody, safety, like I, it's in some ways it just boggles the mind to me that something like this can happen because you would think that, okay, maybe someone operating with like less requirement for safety without unions, without major funding, without all these you know elements that, that forced you to have checks and balances and be careful might have something like this happen. But this was a pretty significant production in terms of scale and scope. So it's, it's just an added like, what the fuck? You know, you know I saw a story in Variety 
that was about the producers of this film and and their approach to this kind of project as essentially a tax write-off. And I'm not trying to couple that with this tragedy, but I do think sometimes treating these projects like the the conceit behind doing this and the necessity for the people involved to look to make certain numbers fit for certain reasons may be part of symptomatic of the bigger issue and and what leads to a tragedy like this and what leads to walkouts and unsafe conditions. So I think the industry, the entertainment industry, is a, it's a look in the mirror moment, hopefully, that gives people pause about how things are done, how important what we're doing is. Like you said, this is make-believe. This is not, this should not, real stakes should never come into play. I mean, there's a couple things that you said that I want to hit on. One that you said, like, that it might have, I just want to clarify something you said where you said, like, the crew walking off might have been related to this. And I think, like, the the important thing to say there is that, like, the crew walking off is in no way responsible. The behavior of whoever in production was being unsafe such that the crew walked off is what eventually would have led to this shooting. Like, the union crew staying. The union crew left because they, you know, a gun was misfired twice before. Like, there were safety things. and. And at a certain point, like by staying, you're co-signing that. So it's like, it's the unsafe behavior of whoever was being unsafe, whatever producer, director, first AD, armor, whoever it was. And I don't know when the investigation was ongoing, like that's what led to it, not the crew walking off. I think that's like, yeah, thanks for clarifying. Yeah. I'm trying to be really careful not to say anything that I don't know 100% is true. Yeah. So if that hit, like what I know is that crew walked off because it was unsafe. Yeah. And then what I know is that this incident took place and you're sort of adding in pieces that you know yeah. for a fact and that I think is helpful, but I think we should all be careful. We've been very careful at No Film School that as we talk about this, we want to make sure that everything we put out there is like a vetted fact yeah. because this is a really obviously sensitive and horrible incident. I don't know. For me, even just like sort of thinking about it just really puts a knot in my stomach and makes me feel kind of sick because it's just like, so many film people, I mean, have stood on sets and sort of watched something that if you, if you're really thinking about it, like it's kind of, that seems a little dangerous, you know, like it, it's just like a thing where like a lot of times if you, you know, if you, you got, obviously you got to have the right people watching over everything, but I, I don't know, like I, I'm just so mortified thinking about it and, and just like thinking of that, that sinking feeling that everyone on set even prior to the, a lot of the crew walking off, like, I mean, honestly, in, in my opinion, good for them. You know, like, I'm so glad that, it, you know, it, it's, it's that, that should have stopped production. That should have stopped. That should have made everyone think and go, you know, okay, well, if everyone's this upset, we should probably rethink about how we're doing things. And I'm also kind of scared to even really say anything because it's like, I, I feel like I don't, there, there's not enough facts yet and all that sort of stuff. Like, my first thought when I saw everything was kind of felt, pretty pretty immediately like Alec Baldwin was being done dirty a little bit just because like his face was the face of all of it and it was just like I could imagine him maybe being like oh my god like they're they're painting me like a murderer that's a really good point we don't know the ex- i mean that that aspect of this is also very uncomfortable because yeah he is the he's the face of it right now and, and it it's 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 like really 
you know, one could really easily make the mental jump that, well, no, he's, it's not his fault. But then you also like, apparently he's like a producer on, on it. And he probably had a lot of control over the working conditions. And so like, that's, but that's other stuff where it's just like, I don't know the full details of it. I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, I just think if, if nothing else, like right now, I'm just looking at it as like a, a really, really harsh wake-up call. And it's a wake-up call that we've had times in the past, you know? There's been tons of needless deaths on set. And and we've talked a lot on this podcast, especially recently, about just the, the pervasive nature of the thought behind, like, we, we just got to get the shot. And, and you know, what people... Like, wh- I, I was looking at Helena's filmography, and it, it really breaks my heart because it, it seems like in a lot of ways, this could have been sort of her her big first thing. Like she's done a, a few features or whatever, but it's been a lot of shorts and stuff. I, I know she did a lot of commercial work and she's done a lot of beautiful, beautiful stuff. You know, this could have been... Like I, I can kind of just, you know, build a bunch of narratives in my head about, you know, like why she stuck around because like this probably represented a really big opportunity for her in a lot of ways, you know? And Yeah, that's a very good and painful point. Um, I will use it to bring up that AFI has a Helena Hutchins Memorial Scholarship Fund. It's www.afi.com slash Helena Hutchins Scholarship Fund. We'll post a link in the thing, but as long as we're all discussing this and thinking about it, if you feel the need or desire to do something like that, that is an opportunity and it's through AFI. I think that there's another, yeah, there's another aspect to it, which is that we've talked about a lot because of IATSE stories, because of the strike, because of just what people are pushed to do and what expectations are and how difficult and inhumane this industry and process can be that you bring up. Like maybe we can create a narrative that may not be true, but maybe seeing crew members walk out because it's unsafe, but deciding to stay is part of, uh, you know, a feeling that this is a shot, this is a unique moment, that this that that the safety is worth risking. Like all these horrible things kind of come to your mind. And again, this is speculation. We don't know. But the whole thing, it does it does make you kind of sick because you just think about how it, it would the experience for everybody involved, you know, nobody wants this kind of outcome for something like this, obviously. So it's just awful. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So I read a lot about Alec Baldwin's involvement as a producer, and it really led me to think a lot about his culpability here because he's the public face of it. Like I sort of deliberately presented it as being about Alina Hutchins getting shot and not about Alec Baldwin in the beginning because it is weird that he's the headline name of it. But it really goes back to this concept we talk about a lot on this podcast and on the website of like, what are the norms of the industry and how do we change the norms? So, you know, he was very involved, like, A lot of times, my initial assumption was that he was a vanity, you know, a lot of times the actor that gets you financing gets a producing credit. I've worked on so many movies where I'm like, that guy got a producing credit, he did nothing, but like, he was famous enough that he brought the financing, so he gets a producer credit, but like, did no real producing work. 
But in this case, Alec Baldwin also produced this director's last movie because he really liked the script. He apparently worked on developing the script with this director and was very involved in producing. So I think what we're actually seeing in terms of like the budget limitations is the same thing that happens on so many projects, which is you want a project to happen so badly, you do it with whatever resources that are available, even if those resources are not enough to properly support the production. And it's a culture thing that makes you think you can get away with it because we've gotten away with it so many times in the past. And so my suspicion is that the production team were like, all right, well, you know, let's go. We can hire, you know, a younger crew. We can hire someone, an up and coming DP who's, who's still climbing. We can hire a up and coming crew members who are still hungry and we can work a little harder to sort of pull this off. And I think that, you know, especially because Alec Baldwin, I don't think of as being someone who's produced a whole lot of stuff as producer until pretty recently, I think of this as sort of a career pivot. I think he's fallen in the trap we've all fallen into. We've all worked on a production that is biting off more than it can chew in the hope that it will help us step up in the industry. And in this case, there's like really tragic consequences from it. I mean, I also, you know, we don't know that the crew 100% walked off just safety. Apparently the story is they walked off for safety and also late payment and uh, not getting hotel rooms near the set, which is also a safety thing because driving home is dangerous. It's it's and symptomatic yeah. again of like big like the kinds of things that you're just like what is who's who's steering the ship here like who's in the cockpit you know but red flags but I have been on productions I mean you know I, my heart breaks for Helena Hutchins for like a billion reasons but like I also get why she stayed like I was on a production once where I showed up in the morning and they'd fired the whole genie crew and like there was a moment where I was like am I supposed to have solidarity with them. Like, and it was, it was, uh, it was my first feature. The producer knew it was my first feature. The producer in my prep meeting said, you're going to be the worst per- paid person on set. I'm willing to pay your crew better, but I know this is your first feature and you want the credit. So I'm saving money on you, which like was bracingly honest, but also like, all right, I just come up back to back gaffing two features. So I was like, okay, fine. I will earn a little less, but like, you know, it wasn't a crew I'd been working with for a long time, but the producer didn't like them. And one day they were all gone and completely replaced with new people. And I had a moment of like, am I supposed to fight the producer on this? But I wanted to finish my first feature because I wanted my feature credit so that I could go on to shoot more features. And I get that. And I wonder if it was difficult for Helena to decide to stay or go when her crew walked. Well, I'm sure. I, I, again, we we can we can create narratives. Yeah. Like so, I, and I don't want to put I don't want to put any sort of intentionality into on on her behalf. Yeah. There's no telling what happened. You know, it's, it's all, and, and, you know, I, I think it just goes back to the first thing I ever did. It was in Pinnacle Studio 6 or something on, on a little CRT monitor. I figured out how to go on Google Images, download an image of a muzzle flash, and put it on a, a shot of me pretending to shoot a gun. It was the first <laughs> thing I did. And you know what? It looks, it looked pretty good. You know, it didn't have any that you, you need the little smoke puff afterwards, not to mention the fact that in real life you don't even really see the muzzle flashes and well and with a rolling shutter, your muzzle flash can have to be replaced anyway, even with a real gun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so it's just like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like in some regards that that side of the issue is a bit of a red herring. It's kind of a distraction from other glaring like like people are just let, let, letting insane stuff happen on film sets. And and that's got to stop. But like, I mean, yes, the it, it is the easiest thing in the world. There are a hundred. I've done. I literally have done three tutorials 
on YouTube about doing muzzle flashes. Like there are a hundred of them out there. Just go watch it. It's really not that hard to do. Like there's no need for it anymore. The argument armors sort of will repeatedly make, and it's a fair argument, is armors will make the argument that yes, there are non-guns you can get for all of the common guns. You can get an AK non-gun really easily. You can get an AR non-gun really easily with no firing pin. And you pull the trigger and it makes a noise and there's a fake muzzle flash really easy. But if you're working on anything historic, you have to get a custom non-gun made and that is frequently outside the budget. Now, I think if we made a blanket rule that you have to use non-guns on set, prop houses would go and preemptively build a wide variety of interesting historical World War II Japanese rifles and Western pistols of wide variety because the rule would be made so they know the market would be there and you wouldn't have to have a custom. But right now we're in this situation, since it's not a requirement, it's really easy for really common guns to get non-guns. But whenever you get weird, it is apparently harder. I want to highlight, I have a really good friend, I don't know if he'll be listening or not, who will definitely know the answer to that about the guns and the prop guns. But anyway, if you're listening... Ryan, let us know. My question or my comment earlier, I should say, about the variety story. I want to I want to bring it back up and mention some of the specifics from it because I do think it's extremely relevant. The story by Cynthia Littleton and it says Rust tragedy reflects troubling trends on movie and TV sets. Quote, we did this to ourselves. Now it breaks down a few different things we've touched on. One, inexperience among crew members. So, spike in demand for content has stretched below the line talent. A lot of veteran producers contribute quotes talking about how that forces a lot of times in local shoots, particularly to find people with less experience below the line, and that can contribute. But then the one that I really want to highlight that they bring up is inexperience among producers. So among the seven production entities listed backing Rust was Streamline Global, Founded in 2017 to use films produced with production tax incentives as vehicles to create tax breaks for wealthy investors, Streamline Global co-founders Emily Hunter Salveson and Ryan Donald Smith serve as executive producer and producer on Rust. Inherent problems that can occur when goals and incentives among producers are not aligned. We have developed new financial models to attract capital that would otherwise be unavailable to the film industry, Salveson told Variety. Films are a byproduct of the comprehensive tax planning strategies we employ for our clients. So I think that, you know, this is obviously a a couple steps removed from this incident. It's not a direct reason for it. But I do think that it's interesting to note that when a movie is being made under those circumstances and you see all these things follow, you know, shortcuts, incentivizing spending less money or hiring less experienced crew. And then you hear stories about hotel issues and crew walking off. And then you have a major horrible tragedy take place. It starts to create a narrative about the process and what's going on from the top down. So even looking at Alec Baldwin as a producer, there are backers and production entities involved in this that I think are involved in it, arguably for the wrong reasons. And I think we should investigate as a community, all of that, because I think it's all a contributing factor. Everything adds up. You know, you can get away with, as we all know, like your examples, Charles, of like, you know, being on a set and being like, is this the best situation? I really want to get a feature. I've definitely been on sets as the producer and an inexperienced producer at that, seen a potentially unsafe situation, flagged it, and had people be like, 
yeah, you know, uh, we want to get it. Like, let's try for it. Let's go for it. And there's a part of my mind that is thinking, trained as a producer, even in an experienced one, ah, worst case scenario in this situation is so bad. You know, I don't feel good about this. But often, crews and sets will go ahead anyway and risk it. And I think what happens is when you add up, up enough risk, you you create a higher potential for something really awful to happen. Like there are certain risks you're always going to take. Car accidents happen. You know, you'll get in your car every day. But when you add up enough risk and there's enough dangerous potentials, then you create that sort of primordial soup for for tragedy and catastrophe. So I think that something like eliminating guns from sets is a great way to be like, yeah, we're going to just eliminate that risk, you know? But there's other things like the way we approach the whole, the planning of the whole production, the budgeting, why are we saving money? What are we spending money on? All of that. It all ends up being those, those like little pieces that add up. Yeah. I mean, it's an attitude and a culture that needs to shift so that we're not creating situations where this is as likely as it currently is. It should be a surprise when this happens, and it doesn't feel like a surprise. It feels like, well, yeah, of course, on an indie film, eventually somebody got shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's just like the lack of surprise, but the abundance of just pain, you know? It's it's just really... You know, I just like every single person on that set, like, I feel like if I, if I was on that set when that happened, I I think I'd hang it up. I think I'd just be like, I'm done now. I can't, I can't, you know, I don't know. Like that, it's just, I'm just so mortified. It's just, um, you know, I just, I, I kind of just keep sort of playing through what it might've been like in my head. I should probably stop though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was the Twilight Zone incident. In, do you know the year, Charles? Uh, 1980s? I thought it was 83. Could be wrong. 83, yeah. So the Twilight Zone movie, the accident. I knew somebody. I was one degree removed from one of the someone in the AD department on that movie who basically did hang it up. It was just like that was so horrible. And there were there warning signs. You know, there were like safety concerns and they were pushing too hard and they were too late, you know. So like you would think, right? You would think after something like that, okay, that's it. Like we're going to change the culture. But it keeps happening. You know, it, it is it is like an every however many years thing. As recently as 2014, Sarah Jones. Right. On right. the set of Midnight Rider, you know, in, in like the, uh, like, you know, they didn't, was that was that the, tr- the, the train, train one? They did a setup yeah. on train tracks yeah. without properly evaluating whether or not a train would be coming through, which is like the dumbest possible way to kill someone. It's just like infuriatingly negligent. And that was only seven years ago. And honestly, yeah, you know, not that I don't know. I don't know who's responsible. I'm not going to say who's responsible. Whether or not Alec Baldwin's responsible is not for me to say. I know that he will have horrific PTSD for the rest of his life from this. But if there is any goodness out of his celebrity, I think the story is getting more traction in the mainstream press because he is famous. Like, yeah, I don't I don't know that the Sarah Jones story... I mean, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of normal people in my life if they know about the Sarah Jones story. And I don't know if they yeah. will. That's a good point. I mean, it's a tragic point, but it is a good point. I also think... I think that there's hubris behind a lot of this. I really think that there is a 
you know, problem with the industry whereby there is an assumption that like, well, we can, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, we can do it. We can pull it off. We can, you know, we're going to make it happen and we're going to get this and we're going to, and there's a, there, that culture, that's part of it, the work overworking people, but also just the, like the general sense of the importance of what is being done is way out of proportion with reality, right? Like it's not that important what you do. The sense that it's it's like you got to do it a certain way or a certain time frame. Like no, you don't. Like <laughs> like there's just so much that I think like like people's heads are way up somewhere they're not supposed to be up about what production is and what the values are and and like that that is why it can happen. And then a certain number of years later, it can happen again because that what persists is a mentality about the process that is dangerous, dangerously untrue, I would say. I was trying to just sort of run back through my career for just things that, you know, I I think were very unsafe and things that like still, you know, and, and I mean, there's just like those things that like, there was like one time I was doing a nighttime shoot around a bonfire and I had a big batten light, flew pretty high up, and I had it bagged. I had it double bagged and everything. And a big gust of wind out of nowhere came and just knocked the entire thing over. And the light landed, I'd say, five feet behind anyone. But it, it, I think about that light falling. Oh, my God. Every time I step onto a set, I think <laughs> about if that had been, if I had just been like, oh, you know what? I need a little more output from this. And I just moved it a little bit closer. Someone would have had, I mean, we're talking a, a Home Depot, like a vanity light, basically, with like 10 bulbs on it. That whole thing would have come crashing down on them with a gobo arm. Like at bare minimum, b- glass, blood, everything would have happened. I think about it every time I step onto a set. It, I'm mortified that, it, like, and I did what you're supposed to do in my head. But no, I was running around late at night, just trying to get the shot. And and I just was like, okay, never, ever, ever again. Never again. Like that, I'm like, nothing is worth that. Like, don't, don't fly a big glass light above people's heads ever, you know? Yeah. And, and I was young, I was just starting out, all that sort of stuff. But it was just like, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened if I was, if, if I was even slightly more kitted out with crew people to like, I could have had someone standing on that light, all that stuff, you know? And it's just like the, this, this stuff is so scary for me because the, a film set for us represents this beautiful, beautiful place where it's teamwork. We're all working together. We're all taking something and making it, or we're taking nothing and making it into something. We're taking something and and making like something that can change people's hearts and and it's a beautiful thing but it's just like we've all been on those sets where that vibe is not there that vibe is just like it's it's dark and you're just like everyone's mad and overworked and it's just funny how it's always those sets where stuff's happening that you're just like that's weird that shouldn't be allowed to happen yeah. i don't really know what my point is but it's just like no, you, you know, make a good point which is that it's a good illustration of what i was referring to i think or trying to refer to earlier which is that like there's these little things that kind of add up like that's a li- like say you you fly a light high up and 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 it's you know risky that's like one little tick of like risk and danger but but when you add in like exhaustion or a smaller crew so someone can't stand on it and it's just all these little like little ticks add up like 
oh, maybe everybody's tired because they have to drive too far every day. Maybe it's day six and there hasn't been a break. Maybe you're an hour into overtime. Maybe you lost someone in G&E. Maybe like every little tick adds up, right? And so as those ticks build and build and build, the the likelihood that one of those little mistakes, like one incident, like wind blowing something, like becomes catastrophic. Like, and as like, and, and that's why I think it's so important that the culture, the mindset of we've got to get it. It's super important no matter what, at any cost, like that mindset is what allows those ticks to build. And, and a lot of times you can get away with like, let's say five ticks. <laughs> like a lot of times you can get away with 10 or 20. You can have a director who doesn't care, who's so caught up in the moment that they're like abusing cast, that they're like running over everyone. And then you're like, well, the movie was genius and like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but the culture of that is what's going to lead to something awful. Because then it's going to encourage other people to behave that way. And then it's going to encourage other productions to be like, hey, you know, got to get the shot. You know, I don't care if I had to drive all night to get, after finishing the shoot to get home, get one hour of sleep, get back in the car, go back to set. Like once you start multiplying risk factors, you know, terrible things happen. And that's, again, I think why terrible things keep happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I always just go back to is that like systems and routine create safety, right? Like the reason why air travel is so safe is it's very systematized and it's very routine. A pilot's taken off and landing seven times a day if they're flying local routes. Like there are like checklists for everything they do. Everything is thorough and nothing on a film set is ever routine. You're showing up every day doing new locations, new sets, new scenes, new whatever. And so we work to create systems to create that safety on a set. And one of the first things that slips when the crew gets tired and overworked is those systems. It is so easy when you're mm. working normal hours to like be very systematic about like this light is getting set up this way with this number of bags and this whatever. And, and like, you know, there are systems for working with weapons and like the system working with weapons I've always been familiar with is the armorer handles the weapons. The first AD checks that it is safe, checks that it is clear, and then the armorer hands it to the actor. On this set, for whatever reason, the first AD handed it to the actor. And like, I don't know if what their system was, but that doesn't seem like the system I've usually been around. So were they tired? Were they overworked? Was it a new crew? I don't know what happened, but like the systems are the things that are designed to keep us safe. And it's deviations from those, which happens. And it's so hard to implement systems on a film set because film sets are by their very nature different all the time. Like that's what we're doing. Unless you're shooting a sitcom and you're shooting like the same location over and over with almost the same jokes. But like you're out on an indie feature, it, stories are about change. All the scenes are different. It's really hard to systematize it, which means you need to give people enough rest so that they can implement the, the systems you create. All right, this is like cripplingly sad. This is like a really horrible story, and I'm sure more information uh, will be revealed. So, yeah, I've been Charles Zane. And George Edelman. And Todd Blankenship. And we'll talk to you guys uh, probably again this week with like a more normal podcast. Stay safe. Stay safe.